Alright, you're feeling at the moment. I also stand up here and talk to you for a while. It's my job. I'm a pastor. I'm the pastor of RUF here for now 10 years, going into our 11th every semester. We decide what we're going to study. And uh, this semester I have chosen the book of Galatians. It's actually a pretty small letter, only six chapters. And today we're just going to look at five verses. Pretty short. Um, Here's a question for you, though. We're a week or two into the school year. Have you received your first care package or letter yet from anyone? Some of you are like, yeah, I heard that. It's like, I'll never get one, right? Um, but sometimes you get one because you forgot something really important. And sometimes you get one because you, your, your parents or someone that loves you just needs to know. Needs, they know that you need to know that they care. And uh, what we have here in Galatians is a care package. And tonight we're just looking at the card. First five verses. It's just the card. It sort of says, I love you, and tells us what's in the package, okay? So I'm only reading the first five verses of chapter one tonight. And then we'll jump right in. You can follow along up here or in your own Bibles if you bought one. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to pray. If you would like to, you can join me. Otherwise, that's okay. Great Father, we ask you be kind in our uh, late night weariness and uh, multifaceted distractedness that you would help us for a short time uh, to be attentive to your word. Would you sharpen our minds and soften our hearts? And if you're real and if you're good, would you show us those truths? We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, There was a movie made a long time ago, 2000. Uh, called Castaway. You may have seen it like on TBS or something one lazy Saturday afternoon. And uh, it stars Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is uh, a survivor from a plane crash. And he's marooned on a desert island. He has very few companions. Basically, a FedEx box and a volleyball named Wilson. And uh, the movie was a a financial success and a critical success. He didn't win the uh, Oscar that year because he'd won the previous two years. And people thought he was robbed. But anyway... um, FedEx, afterwards, did some very opportunistic and clever marketing based on the movie. Uh, they're featured prominently. He, he delivers a package, the, the package, at the very end of the movie. And they decided, we, could, we, could, we can use this. And so they ran out their own ads. And, and one of these uh, commercials begins with a bearded, long-haired man uh, with emotional music playing in the background ap- approaching this home. Uh, you know, the, the idea is he's been carrying this package for five years, and now he's finally going to deliver it, right? And he rings the doorbell nervously, and this woman, confused, answers the door. And he says, hi, I was marooned on an island for five years with this package, and I swore I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. And uh, the woman, breathless and startled, says, that's, that's very admirable of you. Thank you. And he smiles and turns away. And then you can see the curiosity overtake him. For five years, he's wondered, what's in this box? And he asks, by the way, what's in the package? And she laughs and says, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, a GPS locator, a fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. <laughs> Just silly stuff. Yeah. So, it's a brilliant commercial, right? <laughs> He's been on the desert island for five years. Could he use any of these things? Well, uh, what's the guy do with us? We're not on a desert island. I consider this to be a concrete jungle, um, not a desert island. 
But it's altogether possible for us to go through college, to go through the year, uh, strictly in a kind of survival mode. Just getting through. Maybe slight, slightly aware from time to time that rescue might be necessary. <laughs> Someone should come and get me out of here. But for the most part, uh, in survival mode. And, and sometimes uh, unaware that we have with us the means, under wraps perhaps, to live a completely different kind of life. That we have, if you will, the package. With all the goods in it. That can make life rich and full. And as we read the card tonight, the first five verses of this package that, that Paul's delivering for us in the book of Galatians, Paul really, really, really wants us to see just a few basic truths about Jesus. That he is a deliverer who brings us a way to truly live. It's very simple. He's a deliverer, and he wants to show us the way to truly live. And it's only five verses, but I think these things leap off the page. He wants us to do more than just survive, but really live. That word deliverer I used is not my own. It's Paul's. You find it here in verse 4. That Jesus is the one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. And it's possible you might be thinking, you probably are thinking, like, I don't know about deliver. I chose this place. I like this place. I think I'm doing pretty well. I I don't know that I need someone to come and pluck me out of here. And we'll talk about that second, actually. But first, I want to talk about a different kind of deliver, which is like, I have a present for you. like The delivery, the giving to. Because Jesus does that as well. He's delivering a gift to us. He brings something to us. And, and what we see here in uh, the first couple of verses is he's come to give us a new kind of life. And these are the marks of the good life that he brings, that he delivers to us. The book is full of this stuff and expands it and digs deep into it. Here, they just sort of mention. But I want to just sort of take a peek inside the box with you so we know all the good things that, that Paul and Jesus would have for us with this life that he would have us to live. So uh, the first we find in verse 3, Paul says, grace to you. And that might just seem like a customary heading for you, like, hello, or hope you're well. Um, but it's significant. It's, it's a real word. He meant it. And, and, and behind the word grace, uh, as it was originally used, is the idea of a gift that brings joy. The root of the word literally means something that brings you joy. And, uh, and the idea of grace in the Bible is that God has been kind to us, though we don't deserve it. That his kindness and love is a gift. That that love looks like forgiveness. He doesn't treat us for what we deserve. That, frankly, we do a lot of things we shouldn't do, and what we deserve is not good. And often we just completely forget about him altogether, and that doesn't deserve good things. And, and God, through Jesus, is willing to forgive us and be faithful and kind to us for life. And that's all grace. We didn't deserve it. It's, it's his kindness. It's his goodness. It's undeserved. And it, he says, it's grace to you. It doesn't come from us. We don't manufacture it. We don't earn it. He gives it to us. So the first good thing that Paul wants us to see that Jesus gives us is grace. And secondly, it's peace. Grace to you and peace from God. And this is another old word from the Bible. You may have heard this one. Uh, shalom. It's a Jewish word for peaceful well-being. It's thorough. It's thick. It's rich. It describes the way things are supposed to be. And uh, in the Bible, you, you can't really have peace 
if you know that God's not pleased with you, if you know that uh, you've lived a life that's displeasing to him, you can't have peace if you know he's against you. But here Paul is saying, if you know Jesus and you know his grace, you know his peace. He's forgiven you. He's made peace. This is what Jesus has done. He's come and lived a life and died a death that takes away the war, that settles the score. It makes peace. The war in battle is over. And that peace is not just a battlefield reality out there between you and God. It's now a present reality in your heart. It's a peace that resides within you, a security in your heart that says, I know that there's a God who's a loving father to me, and he cares for me. That's peace. So grace and peace from him. And then also, verse 4, purpose. Purpose, that there is a Father who has a will, and that all these things are happening according to His will. He's got a plan, and it's good, and I'm a part of it. And part of His plan was to rescue me, and to love me in Jesus, and to forgive me, and to be at work in me. And I can know that what I do is part of a bigger story. A big story, that someone's in control, it's not all chance, it's not all purposeless. And I can also know, verse 5, there's a God to whom I can work, that the things I do can be for someone else's glory but mine, to whom be the glory forever and ever, that my life, my work, my study, my relationships, they can all have significance and purpose. I can do them for someone's glory, for a greater purpose than just my own pleasure or just my own distraction, because he's deserving and he's good and he cares, and these are ways to express my love for him. So grace, peace, purpose. Lastly, people. Part of the great package that Jesus is offering us, grace, peace, purpose, involves people. Paul writes here and says, hey, by the way, there are a bunch of other people here that say hi. You may see that in verse 1 and verse 2. All the brothers who are with me, when you trust in Jesus, you get a family. You share a father. And Paul is writing to, to, to a bunch of churches in Galatia. And now he's writing to a bunch of people here. And if you're a Christian, you have the same father and you share together peace and grace and purpose and one another. And that's great news because that means if you're here today and you don't know a single person in this room, but you're a Christian, you actually do belong. You belong whether you feel like it or not. You belong. You're part of the family. And I would encourage you, to, whether it's this group or another Christian group, to, to, to believe that deeply and stay until you feel like it's true. These are your people. And if that's not your story, you're not a Christian, and, uh, or you're skeptical, or you're trying to figure out what you believe, then I, would, I just want to tell you, this is, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, it, it would be a privilege for me and for us if you would consider yourself a guest here every week. That we would love for you to come and be a part of us every week. Because we want you to hear what we're saying and try it on. And to see if all these good things that are being promised are real. And if you see it among us. So you can try it on and see if you believe this. Um, that's part of what it means to be the family of God. The household of God. It's to have you come and see and taste that God is good. Alright, so that's all the good things that Jesus is delivering in the package. We just sort of see it hinted at here. That's what he's delivering to us. But, but Paul also makes it clear that Jesus is delivering us from something. It's what he calls here the present evil age. And this can easily be misunderstood, and I wish I had more time to go into it, because I don't want you to get the impression that Paul is like some angry culture monger who's like, oh, the kids these days, we've got to rescue them. 
Uh, no, what Paul is saying with present evil age is when we live in the world, anywhere in the world, we live in a broken world. Anywhere you go, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's just true. Injustice, lack of peace, racism, it just happens everywhere, unfortunately. But he's also saying, I think, or hinting at is, wherever you are, that place has its own peculiar system of beliefs, ideologies, temptations that makes life hard. And uh, your present evil age, if you will, here at Pitt, has its own peculiar flavor. And I want to talk about it for just a moment, okay? Um, It might not feel like a desert island, but I think these things are true. I think they're hinted at in the text, and I think they're true right here. I'll do this quickly. Some of you won't have felt this because you haven't been here very long. But talk to me in a couple weeks. Uh, One, when you signed up and came here, you, you moved into part of this present age is you, you moved into a place where achievement's what matters. You must achieve to get in. You have to achieve to stay in. You must achieve to get ahead. You have to achieve to succeed. It's all about what you earn. And that's great, so long as you're earning. Um, but in the achievement age, there is no grace. There's no, there's no grace in the achievement age. Your failures are real. They have consequences and they stick to you. And uh, because your failures stick to you, you can create and accumulate enough failures that you begin to wonder, am I going to sink? Am I going to fall beneath the surface? Do I have to just abandon the ship and the plan and go somewhere else? And that's partly explains that you also don't just live in the achievement place. You live in an anxious place. You see how they're related? In the achievement age, it's all up to you. If it's all up to you, you're bound to be anxious. The only way not to be anxious if it's all up to you is to be perfect. It's to be perfect. Both socially and academically, the only way not to have some measure of anxiousness, work and worry, work and worry, is to be perfect. And so in the anxious age, there's no peace. Achievement means no grace, and uh, anxious means no peace. You also live in a culture. This is just part of the academy. It's been this way for five or six hundred years. You like philosophy? We can talk about this. But it runs headlong about against what Paul's saying here. You were taught from day one. You've already been taught this. You're just going to be reinforced here that you are the determiner of what's true and what's not true. You're the ultimate autonomous knower and feeler. That what you reason to be true or feel to be true is what's ultimately true. Paul says here in this text, "Hey, I'm an apostle." I'm God's own chosen man. God did, man didn't choose me. I didn't appoint myself. God chose me. There's an author and a purpose. And you're taught, and you've been taught, there is no author. And there is no purpose. And there is no authority above me to whom I must submit. It's me. I determine what's true and what's not true. And, and that's, it's been that way in our culture for, I, I think, four or 500 years. Here's what you lose with that. Lots of things, actually, like humility. Um, But um, also, you lose purpose. You lose purpose. You lose the reality that you're part of a bigger story. If there's no authority, there's no author, there's no author, there's no bigger story that you're a part of. It's just you and whatever story you want to live. And uh, and that means you actually have to manufacture the purpose every single day. What are you going to live for? Some people are fine with that, but that's really hard. And lastly, uh, we also live in an all-alone age. Achievement, anxious, autonomous, and all-alone. 
not that you're all alone, but I'm not the only one that says this. Sociologists, we can march over to the counseling department, talk to the dean of students, they would all agree with me. It has changed so much in 50 years. People my age years ago, we would have 20 friends. Now someone my age averages 1.5 close friends. And uh, if you think, man, that's pathetic and so sad. Well, friends, it's coming home to you too. It's just hard. It's hard to have friends. But I want to explain, and it's not just because you live in a concrete dorm cell slash cell um, or, or South Oakland slum housing. Like, no one wants to come to your house. It's, it's, it's great. I really like you, but it's, it's the flies and the cockroaches I don't like. Wasps. Wasps. Anyway, the, um, no, that's not just what makes it hard. What makes it hard, friends, is everything else I've said. You're too busy trying to achieve. And so you're too anxious. So it's hard to make time for other people. It's hard to stop and listen. It's hard to stop and care. And, be, and because it's all up to you and you've got to perform, you don't often feel free to just be real. And it's so easy when you put all these things together just to be alone. That's sort of the cumulative force, I think, of this present evil age, what life is like, not just at Pitt, but lots of college campuses. I think you put all these things together. It's just true in all those places. And whether you want to or not, you live in it, you breathe it, you work in it, and you're often driven by it. The good news in our text is you don't have to be. You don't have to be. And you don't have to just survive. I mean, I want you all to survive. I really do. But I actually want you to live while you're here. And I want you to know the, 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 the joy and the peace and the grace and the purpose and the fullness of relationships that, that Paul is hinting at here. And, and it can be yours. I'm convinced of it. It can be yours. Um, and, and the trick here, this is the last point here, is uh, how do we actually make this happen? How does this come about? And uh, you might think it because you've got preconceived notions or maybe even the language of the text. You might think, all right, if I want to have those things, what I have to do is transfer. I've got to leave. <laughs> I've got to get off this desert island, this concrete jungle, this stressful, anxious place. And that's not the right answer. It's not the right answer. Wherever you go, it's hard. This is reality. It's your reality. I don't think you're supposed to flee it. I'm glad you're here. I like this place. That's why I'm here for 11 years. It's hard everywhere, friends. No, what, what, what Paul is saying and what Jesus says elsewhere is, is not that we get this into us, we become different people by leaving this place and going and forming some secret little sect in the woods. No, that's not it at all. What we need is the good news of Jesus' message to get into us. It's not about us getting out of here. It's about his good news getting into us. And, and the good news here is made pretty simple. It's just a little phrase, uh, but Paul can't help himself. Even in the first words of his letter, just to talk about Jesus and the cross. He says here in verse 4 that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age. And uh, what we have then is, is, is not actually God asking us to remove ourselves from the world and to flee. What we have instead is God moving into the world in the person of Jesus, taking flesh, entering our messy reality, living the kind of life we lived, but better, and then giving himself for us. And, and what Paul is advocating, and what he will advocate in this whole book, it's a lab in this, is he will say, what you need, friends, is to take this message of what Jesus has done, lived and died for you out of love, and you need to bathe in it. 
need to soak in it. You need to rest in it until it permeates you. It changes the way you think about God and work and relationship until new things become true in your life that all of a sudden you understand grace and so you can be gracious and you understand he's a father that loves you so you have peace. I, uh, I want to conclude here by uh, doing just a little bit of a lab, a little bit of experimental life on life together and how this relates to all of you. I'll be honest, there's about half of you here that I don't know at all, which is great. Thanks for coming. Uh, I, I think I'm really glad you're here and I appreciate you coming. But what you also need to know is anytime you come in this room, there will be people along a wide continuum of belief. People that are Christians and know they're Christians. People that are Christians and aren't sure what they believe. People that are not Christians and maybe don't know it. And people that are not Christians and certainly know they're not Christians. That's the way our group is all the time. And those people are always welcome. Here's my question. is How do you live together? How do you benefit together from this message? And I actually want to speak to a certain class of people, but this will include everyone. I want to speak to the freshmen that grew up in a good Bible-believing church, and now you live on a floor somewhere in a dorm, and you're surrounded by crazy people that are nothing like you. And they're not crazy, of course. They're smart and kind, otherwise they wouldn't be here. But never before you've been surrounded by so many people not like you. And you're wondering, how do I live my life, my faith here now with these people? And I want you to know the temptation for you is to, maybe, like so many people do, like old, angry people do, start talking about the kids these days in the present evil age. And, uh, you know, wag your finger to those bad people. And I'm not saying deny the reality of the brokenness and bad behavior that happens around you. Um, That's not what Paul does. That's not actually how I think you move forward in any way. I think, actually, what you got to do, actually, this is really great, is remember what Paul says here. That Jesus gave himself for our sins. Your sins. Yours. Wherever you are, wherever you're living, whatever you're going through, I think Paul wants us to be more cognizant of what's wrong with us than what's wrong with them. And to think more clearly about what he's done for me than what he's going to do to them. And the more I understand the nature of his grace, his forgiveness, his love for me, it changes me. It gets deeper in me. And what begins to happen, or should happen, is this. If I'm more aware of my sin than their sin, then I become a humble person. A humble person, right? A less judgmental person. My life begins to look more gracious and peaceful and purposeful, and I become a better friend. Do you see how that could happen? As you saturate in the gospel, as it begins to work its way into you. And you know what everyone around you needs? Everyone around you that doesn't believe in the gospel, everyone around you that's wondering what life's all about, they, they need friends who are gracious and peaceful and purposeful and can be a good friend. This is a gift to you, friends. It's a gift to all of us. And uh, this, the movie I mentioned at the beginning, it ends in a really fascinating, strange way. The real end of the movie is that uh, after five years, he leaves the island and he delivers the package. He, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Texas, he pulls up to the ranch. There's this butterfly sign uh, emblem over the, the gates, which reflects an emblem that's on the package. And There's no one home, so he simply writes a note that says, This package saved my life. 
thank you, Nolan. Because it gave him purpose. And he leaves at the door and he leaves. And a few minutes later, uh, the camera picks him up at the end of the road in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And he's just, he's parked his truck and he's just standing around at the intersection looking around. Like he could go anywhere. He doesn't know where to go. Doesn't know where to go, what to do. And uh, something really interesting happens. This uh, gorgeous redhead in a pickup truck pulls up. And, and she's intentionally chosen because she's gorgeous. She, as, she, as she gets out of the truck and talks, you realize she's like beautiful inside and outside. Like she's, she's joyful and funny and inviting and pure and beautiful. And she just sort of orients him and says, good luck, cowboy, and gets in her truck. And as she drives off, he notices on the back of her vehicle the, the same angel wing emblems that were at the house and on the package. I mean, he, he now knows this is the person. And, and what he has as he stands in the crossroads, literally, he's looking every which direction, is he has an invitation. He has an invitation to follow. I don't know what that looks like out there, but I have every reason to believe, based on who I just talked with and what she's like, that this is the, the beginning of something really beautiful. <laughs> and uh, I think I sort of want to go. And today, at the beginning of the semester, I want you to know that wherever you may be, wherever you may have been, you stand at a crossroads, a new beginning. It's a new year and a new semester. And what we've got right here is just a brief conversation, a snippet of a conversation. But there's every reason to believe that what you've heard is beautiful and real and an invitation for you to follow. And I'd love for you to do it with us. All right, let me pray. My good Father, we thank you for being kind and giving us a letter uh, to another church a long time ago that makes a 